Medigen has announced the success of the Phase 2 trial for its COVID-19 vaccine candidate. In a press conference Thursday evening, the Taiwanese biotech firm said its candidate met the safety and efficacy standards required for emergency use authorization from Taiwan's FDA. Our vaccine appears to be extremely safe. In addition, its immunogenicity seems to be in line with our expectations at the time the trial was designed, so we're very optimistic. We will start up the effort to apply for EU authorization through the standard process. As for the vaccine's raw materials, we have already prepared it all. As for how the vaccines will be produced, as all of you know, going by Medigen's historical output, we have the ability to produce at least 10 million doses this year. Medigen ran its phase two trial with more than 3,000 subjects. Its vaccine candidate proved safe and well tolerated, with none of the recipients experiencing serious adverse reactions. Less than 1% of the recipients developed a fever. Medigen says it will apply for emergency use authorization from Taiwan's FDA, with an eye to releasing its vaccine next month. U.S. Senators Mitt Romney and Edward Markey have issued a statement asking Washington to speed up the shipment of COVID vaccines to Taiwan. The U.S. has pledged to donate 750,000 vaccine doses, although a delivery timetable hasn't been laid out. Besides pushing for faster delivery, Senator Romney also asked the Biden administration to supply more doses. During a visit to Taiwan last Sunday, three U.S. senators confirmed that the U.S. plans to donate 750,000 COVID vaccine doses to Taiwan. On Tuesday, Republican Senator Romney called on U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken to offer more vaccines to Taiwan. According to the ambassador from Taiwan, um, she indicated that she, can we make the number large enough? I understand it was announced at 750,000. Uh, doses if uh, they need something much closer to mm -hmm. 2 million? Yes, uh, we're making sure that uh, vaccines do get uh, to Taiwan. Uh, and uh, just to be, be clear about uh, what we're doing and how we're doing it. On Wednesday, Romney and Markey issued a joint statement calling on the Biden administration to speed up its delivery of 750,000 vaccine doses to Taiwan. They also said the U.S. government should be ready to field requests for more from Taiwan and to allot doses for use by Taiwan's military. The language suggests that Taiwan requested doses specifically for military personnel, according to a DPP lawmaker. Taiwan's government appears to have asked the U.S. to first send vaccines for military use. If this happens, the U.S. would be helping to ensure the safety of our troops. But it would also be conveying a deeper message. If the U.S. handles the vaccine issue in such a way, it would be treating Taiwan's military the way it's treated South Korea, where it's stationed its own troops. As for what that means for our bilateral relationship, it goes without saying. Last Sunday, a U.S. military cargo plane made history when it touched down at the Taipei Songshan Airport. In the future, if it sends in vaccines for use by Taiwan's troops, it would be seen as making a great step forward in the U.S.-Taiwan military partnership. As China moves to expand its influence through vaccine diplomacy, the U.S. is bolstering its democratic partnerships to curb the Chinese threat. What they most fear about us is not our military not even our economy, what they most fear about us is our network of allies, because they don't really have them. I, mean, I think we've had about uh, $18 billion in uh, foreign military sales since 2017. So one of the things I think we should focus on is helping uh, Taiwan strengthen its uh, reserve force uh, reform. I'd certainly be interested in see if there's uh, 
more uh, we can do and uh, more effectively consistent uh, with the uh, the Taiwan Relations Act and uh, our commitment to make sure that Taiwan has the means to to defend itself. Blinken stressed that the U.S. would continue selling defensive arms to Taiwan. He added that Taiwan must reform its reserve force to be able to effectively join the U.S. in keeping China in check. With COVID-19 still spreading, the Ministry of National Defense has postponed the live fire drills of the annual Hanguang exercises. The five-day drills were scheduled to start July 12th, but will be pushed back likely to September. The decision comes after a COVID outbreak in the Air Force involving six personnel believed to be in sensitive strategic operations. Missiles strike targets in this old footage of the annual Hanguang live fire drills. This year's test of combat readiness was scheduled for mid-July, but with the pandemic showing no signs of slowing, the drills have been postponed to keep troops from gathering en masse. We respect the decision reached by the Ministry of National Defense and National Security Unit's comprehensive assessment. COVID has already reared its head in the Air Force, with an outbreak at the Songshan Base Command on June 1st. By June 8th, there were six confirmed cases. It was shortly after the first case that Japan Airlines delivered vaccines, and three U.S. senators flew in on a military freighter, all to Songshan Airport. According to Chinese-language media, the six cases are members of a sensitive combat unit. If the infection spreads, the defense ministry intends to close down the current operations unit and activate a standby unit to ensure national security. Those who should be isolated will be isolated, and those who should receive medical care will get care. As of this time, the status of all combat readiness operations is normal. There will be no impact. Personal screening, PCR screening, unit cleaning and disinfection and the isolation of personnel are all being implemented in accordance with government regulations. To reduce infection risk, the Defense Ministry has asked troops not to cross city or county lines when leaving their barracks on holiday. But even with the movement restriction, it'll be hard to keep COVID out without vaccines. Taiwan announced 263 local infections and three imported cases on Thursday, including a fully vaccinated woman. The woman in her 40s was fully inoculated with the Pfizer vaccine. She received two doses of Pfizer in the U.S. on April 9th and April 30th, but still tested COVID positive after arriving in Taiwan. On Thursday, the Central Epidemic Command Center emphasized that vaccines are not 100 percent effective. No matter which vaccine you get, vaccination mainly protects against severe illness and death, with very good efficacy of at least 90%, perhaps even 95 or 99% and above. With regard to getting infected or developing mild symptoms, there's a degree of protection, but it's not 100%. Don't feel that you're invincible just because you're vaccinated. The CECC says that even after 14 days past full vaccination, it is still possible to contract an asymptomatic or mild infection. However, if infected, vaccinated individuals tend to have a lower viral load compared to unvaccinated people. This means they are less likely to transmit the virus to others, and so widespread vaccination can help in reducing infections.
Doctors say that a dangerous COVID symptom called silent hypoxia can be easily detected at home. People with silent hypoxia feel fine, even as their blood oxygen saturation drops and compromises organ function, potentially causing death. In recent weeks, there's been an increase in sudden COVID deaths that experts have linked to undetected hypoxia. Doctors say it's important for COVID patients to test their saturation levels regularly using a pulse oximeter. A reading below 95% could mean it's time to visit the hospital. The virus continues to spread and the number of sudden deaths from COVID keeps rising. Experts believe that in most of these cases, the victim was suffering from silent hypoxia. That's when the body loses oxygen, but there are no signs of a problem initially. The patient has no trouble breathing until they deteriorate rapidly without warning. The condition can only be detected with a device called a pulse oximeter. Generally speaking, normal blood oxygen saturation is in the ballpark of 97, 98, 99 percent. If it drops to 95 or 96 percent, that's not a reason to be too anxious because you might have been talking for too long or you might be out of breath after exercise. You can take a few deep breaths and see if your levels slowly go up. If they do, you should be all right. But if you test yourself and your blood oxygen is 94% or below, and it doesn't get higher even after you adjust your state, then I would suggest you go to a hospital as soon as possible. The physician says that when levels fall below 95% and won't go back up, it's time to seek urgent medical care. People whose levels are 92% and below may need oxygen therapy. Wu Chang-Tun, a pediatric emergency physician at Linko's Chang'e Memorial Hospital, says people with silent hypoxia may eventually start experiencing symptoms that prompt a hospital visit. Common symptoms are chest tightness, extreme difficulty breathing, shortness of breath, and taking breaths at least three times more often than normal. Other warning signs are lips and fingers that turn blue due to oxygen deprivation. They may already have obvious signs like skin and lips that have turned blue, or their faces turn pale, or they're experiencing wheezing, chest tightness, or low blood pressure. Usually, when these signs manifest, the patient's hypoxia is in the symptomatic stage, and it's time to go to a hospital right away. Physicians warn that silent hypoxia can kill. On Wednesday, the Central Epidemic Command Center sent 15,000 pulse oximeters to COVID-positive patients nationwide so that they can monitor their condition at home and get timely medical care. Nurses in Shinzhou County have found a way to maximize COVID vaccine supply. One public health center in Zhubei managed to squeeze an extra 165 doses out of a batch of 1,790. Experts there say the vaccine dosage for each person is 0.5 milliliters and that by cutting waste, they can get more people vaccinated more quickly. Vaccinating the nation is top priority, but doses are hard to obtain. Jubei Public Health Center found a way to stretch out a batch of 1,790 doses and immunize more than 100 extra citizens. How did they do it? If we use a 3 milliliter syringe, its large graduation makes it hard to measure the dose precisely. Also, when you withdraw the dose, there are frequently air bubbles. With a 1 milliliter syringe, the graduation is more precise. And when you withdraw the vaccine, there's less likely to be air bubbles. That prevents a lot of vaccine being wasted. Jubei Public Health Center posted on Facebook that it had immunized 1,955 people with an AstraZeneca batch that was supposed to do only 1,790 jabs. 
One vial can provide 10 to 12 doses. Our colleagues at the public health center use a more finely graduated syringe to administer a small dose and to save resources. Some question if there's a risk of administering too small a dose, rendering the jab useless. The health center responded, each person only needs an injection of 0.5 milliliters. To get 10 to 12 jabs from a 6 milliliter vial should be totally viable. We want to make the maximum possible use of it, because actually it can do 11 people, so we don't want to waste it. After all, it is hard to get hold of. We will spread this approach among all the towns in the county so they can administer as many vaccinations as possible and have the greatest possible impact. Nurses all across the country are working flat out to make the immunization process effective. The sooner the vaccination is rolled out, the sooner the public has immunity from the threat of COVID. A white rhinoceros from Taiwan has arrived safely at her new home in Japan. Emma, a female white rhinoceros from Leofield Village theme park, was sent to Japan's Tobu Park as part of a conservation breeding program. This was the first time a large endangered animal was shipped out successfully from Taiwan. For zookeepers at her old home in Shinzu, saying goodbye was anything but easy. Let's hear from them. I didn't know that large animals like her could be trained to be so affectionate and obedient. And now, after training her, we've had to send her abroad. It was very hard to say goodbye. <laughs> after spreading mud all over herself, she covered me in mud too. She was all caked in mud when she came over to rub up against me. I hope that she'll be safe and healthy there. Emma was given a mud bath to calm her nerves a day before her departure. She checked in at Taoyuan's airport in the early morning of Tuesday for a 16-hour journey to Tobu Zoo, north of Tokyo. With only 18,000 white rhinos left in the world, zookeepers hope she'll help the population recover further. Dragon Boat Festival is on Monday, and that means it's time for Dongzi. The traditional sticky rice treat wrapped in bamboo leaves is a must-eat for Taiwanese at this time of year. But with the country on high alert for COVID, shops selling zongzi must take extra care to not let hordes of hungry customers get too congested. A friendly shop employee tells customers to come back at 11.30 if they want zongzi. It's not that they've sold out. They're trying to restrict crowds and reduce infection risk. Now we've started a daily booking system. When it's your turn, you can come in. We stop when our bookings are full up because our daily production also went down. The business is working flat out to make sure customers don't go empty-handed. They instituted the booking system so their shop doesn't become a site of infection. One shop in the chain is shut, but real name registration is watertight at the others. They close when the day's donzer are gone. Fewer donzers being made means fewer customers coming in, less profit and less risk. Our business is affected. We've lengthened the distance people need to keep from each other in the line, and we do the registration properly. Monday is Dragon Boat Festival, and there's a whole row of zongzi shops here in New Taipei's Shimen District. They're hopping even on weekdays. They're 
If there are more customers, we ask them to manage the crowd and to mind the distance between themselves and the queue. When possible, we ask shops to use a numbered system to manage the queue so people don't congregate inside the shop. Hygiene protocols are being spread by district offices as well as local police. The pandemic restrictions mean sacrifices for everyone, but in this exceptional time, going out of our way to keep everyone safe is the best way to protect ourselves and our loved ones. With schools suspended for the rest of the semester, Taiwan's school-age kids are in for several more weeks of distance learning. For most news reporter Stephanie Yang speaks to Sophie Liang, a psychiatrist at Tsanggeng Memorial Hospital, to get some tips on how parents can help their children cope better in a pandemic. Due to schools being suspended and classes moving online, children can also be susceptible to anxiety. Dr. Liang says her first piece of advice to parents is to help children feel safe by addressing their fears and answering their questions. There's several ways to help the kids to address their emotion. First of all, answer the questions about the pandemic and uh, simply and honestly. I think you can kind of uh, use a their age labeled um, language to explain what's going on uh, about the COVID-19 and why we have to stay home because we want to protect uh, the one we loved and also stop or kind of uh, decrease the spread of the COVID-19. The doctor's second piece of advice to parents is to help kids build healthy routines made of activities like eating, playtime, exercise, social time, and family time. This can help create a sense of order during an uncertain time. For the teenagers, you can kind of discuss with them to ask them to establish the day for themselves. But for the younger, you just maintain the daily routine, including the wake-up time, the bedtime, the breakfast time, lunch time, and dinner time. Your working time and their school homework time, but important, just remember to eat the relaxed time, play time, family time, and the other kind of a free time. A third tip is to help children manage their emotions and behavior. One way to do that is redirect bad behavior by finding something else for them to do. Parents can also suggest that children work on creative projects, such as creating PPE. Lastly, reinforce good behavior. Such as they wash hands spontaneously, or they clean the house, they try to help, or they finish the homework, try to avoid the physical punishment. Because it doesn't lead anywhere, but which is a great uh, aggravated the, the kids. Dr. Liang also has some tips of self-care for parents. She suggests that parents take care of themselves by exercising, eating healthy, and getting adequate sleep. It's also important to find ways to de-stress and take breaks. If both parents are at home, try to take turns watching the children. During this pandemic, I think it just 60% yeah, schools, 60% is enough. But if you really kind of feel like you temper tantrum or say something, bed, don't feel so bad to yourself. It's also a good time to uh, kind of modeling the kids how to um, talk your feeling. If you feel overwhelmed, try to stop, find a place to calm down, have a deep breath. Dr. Liang says that if a loved one is having a difficult time coping, there are ways to get help. 
She suggests speaking to a trained counselor or seeking resources provided by trusted public authorities. For Mosa News, Stephanie Yang, Lu Bochong in Taipei.